Welcome back everyone to our High Five, where we're gonna highlight five awesome things that are going on in the life of our church. So let's jump into it. Up at number five, in this season of generosity, outposts across One Church collected 500 Thanksgiving meals that will be given out to families across New Hampshire and Vermont. Way to be the church, church. We're thankful for more ways like this to share God's love this holiday season. In at number four, did you know that every Tuesday night of this Advent season, a bunch of people gather online for a Christmas sing-along event? It's true and it's awesome. Each Tuesday night, they learn the backstory of a Christmas hymn, then they listen to a few renditions and sing along. Group-wide high five to all those sharing in this holiday cheer. Go to church.one groups to join our Christmas hymn along this Tuesday night at 6.30 p.m. Here at number three, our moms group here at One Church put together care baskets for urgent care staff. They included a handwritten message, snacks, and even some always needed coffee. High five ladies to sharing God's love like this. In at number two, this past weekend marked the completion of Rooted Fall Semester 2022, and all participants gathered for a celebration dinner. Having grown stronger roots in faith and friendships for the last 10 weeks, they indeed had much to celebrate. The evening also included the baptisms of a few participants, Joan and Megan. What a sweet time of worship. We're sending this church-wide high five to all our rooted participants. Praise God who roots us in his love. And finally, up at number one, we're celebrating what God has done in transforming lives this November. Many people have been baptized across all our outposts, most recently including Penny, Haley, Amber, Manny, and Melanie. High five to all our friends who've been baptized this month, and we can't wait to see how God continues transforming lives this December. Thanks for joining us for our high five, and I can't wait to celebrate with you in the next one. If you haven't given sacrificially and you're in a comfort spot, is to get out of that comfort zone. Just just try it, find a spot, give beyond what you think you can and see him at work. I grew up in the church that my mom grew up in. Um, she was a single mom with three kids, but she always did something. And I saw her do that, um, so it just became natural. I had never attended church until we got together. Jody had already been going to church and giving um, weekly at that point. When I started going, it just was a, the norm to, to give. There were points when it started understanding that God was calling us to give. It wasn't just, oh, we, we need to give because that's what you do. It was kind of like, there's a kingdom to be built. And then it became like, we need to do that. This is, we're called to do it. When the campaign came along to, to build the auditorium, the number that, that was laid on our heart was scary. At that point, like, we, we knew we had to trust God to make that, that gift. When that campaign ended, we decided to continue giving the same amount as our regular giving. So then the next campaign, it was kind of the same, like a decision to, to now go even beyond. So it was a number that makes it tempting to say, if I stopped giving, what could I do with that amount of money? God has always shown up, and it might not be in the way that you expect, but He's always shown up. Show me what to give and give me the courage to do it. And I think that's, that's important because he'll show you a number and you're going to balk at it. And you're going to go, oh, I can't do that. But the courage to do it and then to see him at work 
when you do it is incredible. to me but watching through it was uh, when he says it gets to a point where I, I start to look at what could I do uh, with that amount of money and that's kind of what we've been combating right is, is we've been combating um, thinking what can I do but instead realizing that God can do so much more with what's happening greater than what we could ever uh, imagine I do want to give a shout out to our wonderful children's uh, leader right now, Courtney, who can't currently see out of her left eye, so she dressed up as a pilot with our student, Ray. So just, yes, thank you very much. She says she'd do it. I didn't think she would, but she did. Thank you very much, Courtney. <laughs> Man, it's just a place to have fun, really. I love that we're able to do that, that, that we're all about you know, fun here at One Church, and that uh, the children's ministry is really just being able to flourish and be just looking forward to seeing that grow more and more here in Franklin as well. So I don't know about, about you all, but there was a um, sort of a YouTube craze going on years back uh, that it was focused on these people who build these machines that would sort of start with one very simple act and then it would build and build and build into a greater thing was accomplished at the end. They were called Rube Goldberg machines. Maybe you saw a couple of them. They were big. I remember when I was in college watching some. And one that stood out to me that I still remember to this day uh, was a music video from the band OK Go. And so their whole music video was they set up one of these big machines to just be a chain reaction of things setting off one after the other. And it just started with them hitting this uh, small toy truck against a domino. And then all the dominoes would fall, and then that would trigger a maze of marbles to go off. And then the marbles would trigger bowling balls, and the bowling balls would trigger fans, and the fans would trigger sledgehammers, which would swing and smash into televisions, all leading to the final moment of setting off these pressurized cannons filled with paint that would explode all over the band members. Right? It was all supposedly in one shot, and apparently it took teams and teams of engineers from, I think, MIT or, or something like that to come up with how to do these intricate things. And it's a good thing that they had sort of experts on the case. If you were asking me to do that, initially the task would feel very daunting, right? The, the task would just be like, oh, how am I supposed to get a domino to trigger cannons of paint to fire into these band members. I, I have a hard time seeing how everything's gonna fit together. How, with just this window that I'm seeing, how is this gonna cause this to happen? And it starts to feel like maybe it's, I don't even know if I wanna start to go down this road. I don't even know if this is possible. Getting worried and worried, allowing it to pile on. Well, we're just talking about setting up a, a, a silly machine or something, or something for this band or whatever it might be. That mindset, you know, it's like, oh, is it, is it really worth it? Is it going to be able to make a difference? I don't know how this is all going to fit together. That mindset seems innocent enough. But then I think quickly, I wonder if we adopt that same approach when it comes to going about the problems that we face in our daily lives, the problems that we see in our world as well. If we adopt the, the same mindset of thinking like, oh, I don't see how it's 
all going to fit together. I don't, I don't think it can be fixed. It seems insurmountable. The obstacles are too great. It's too scary. The demands are too steep. There's no way to really make a difference. Now, as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, to combat this mindset, we know that, yes, on our own, we cannot overcome these obstacles. On our own, the demands, too, they, they seem too steep. It's too much to overcome. But then through the power of our Savior, through the power of God, we are able to attack, to conquer these obstacles that we are faced with. And then everything, that chain reaction begins to fall in line because we're saying yes to what God has to offer. Everything that God has to offer with being part of his family, with being members of the family of God. So we're in the last week of our series, our giving series called Believe. And what John's been pointing out is right in the middle of the word believe is the word lie. So we're focusing in on the lies that we have chosen to believe when it comes to our relationship with God and money. Because that's part of it too. Jesus is, is saying, I want you to be a part of everything that I got going on, and we don't want to miss out on a single thing, and that does also relate to money as well, to finances. And Paul's going to talk in, in the church of Cor to the church of Corinth later on, we'll see that, but right now we're, we're going through our memory verse. Let's look at our memory verse. Every series, we put a memory verse to it to kind of remind us of this charge that we're going through. And each time we meet together, I ask that you read it along with me so we can hear God's words coming out of our mouths. It's in Romans chapter 1, verse 25. We're going to say it with conviction, with gusto. Here we go. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Ending on a high note. I don't want to be on the wrong side of a bad exchange. Because the truth of the gospel is fulfilling in every way. The truth of the gospel is freeing in every way. It frees us from shame. It frees us from worry. It frees us from anxiety, from pain, from anguish. Because God is for us, not against us. Why would we, why would we choose to exchange anything why do we choose to, to, to exchange the gift of, of grace and love and being part of the family of God for anything else? Why would we choose to exchange anything for the full experience of what God has to offer? Choosing anything else over that experience that is for us and not against us. The problem is that understanding these lies, believing these lies that, that we fall into, it's it's understandable. That's why we're talking about it. They're easy to fall into because we do feel like we have that small glimpse into what God kind of has going on. So it's easier and easier to believe these lies. So today, in our final week of this giving series, we're looking at the lie that my giving won't make a difference. My giving won't make a difference. We think it's just a drop in the bucket. It might be just a drop in the ocean. There's no way that this is going to make any difference at all. It's not going to make an impact on the needs that I see right in front of me. And this lie, this lie is a really dangerous one. 
to start the following too. Because if we believe this lie, if we continue down that road, well then it's pretty quick that we then start to put restraints on what God can do. What we think that what God has called us to is capable of doing as well. Because as we pray for God to show us what to give and give us the courage to give it, if he gives us an amount saying, I'd like you to give this amount, and we're praying for that, and he answers that prayer, and then if we say, no, that's not going to make a difference, it's really kind of putting what God has called, what God has asked for, what God has shown us into a box saying, no, I don't think so, God. I don't think that's actually going to do it. And then we start to believe instead these excuses that we are building up and why we believe that it won't make a difference. And then soon when we choose to believe these excuses, these excuses that start to carry more weight than the power of God, well, then it's easy to see, it's easy to believe why we think our giving won't make a difference. We think that it might be the amount. We think it might be the immediate difference that it makes, or it might even be that we don't see how it's going to make a difference at all. And then soon we start to delay, we start to deviate from the gift of giving that God has called us to. When it comes to seeing the difference that our giving does make, I, I think we can maybe share some stories within ourselves or people we may know that their lives were immediately affected by the generosity of others. Maybe it was a specific time where things were tough, that someone came alongside you and was able to give and be generous and and lift you up in that way. But also even beyond that, know that we're able to gather here together now because of the gift of giving. Know that we were able to, to meet in Rutland, Vermont this morning because of the gift of giving. We want the most people in the shortest time in the kingdom of God, and that is happening through the gift of giving. Saying that our giving doesn't make a difference, let's not believe that for a second, because truth is that our giving does make a difference. We can know that, we can see that. We're part of this right here, right now. Believing that instead is a bold and flagrant lie. And Paul knows this as well. Paul knows that giving does indeed make a difference. So we're going to dive into 2 Corinthians tonight. And Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. And just a quick bit of backstory. What he's doing is he's raising funds for the church in Jerusalem that's going through a tough time. And so he's saying, hey, hey Corinth, you should probably, you should, you should, not should probably, you should definitely take part in this gift of giving. And he goes by, by using a church in Macedonia as examples, but I, I don't want to give too much away. So we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and it says this in verse 1. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches in the midst of a severe trial. Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. They exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of, first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. 
So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of giving on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. So here, here Paul is doing something where he's, um, he's sort of starting to compare, but not compare in the way that we might think. For me, and, and oh, we need to get drunk. My family might watch this, and this might be bad. So, compare that the way that your grandma might compare you to your cousins. Does that happen to anyone else? Like for me, growing up, I go to my grandma and be like, "Grandma, I got a B plus." Now she's really short, so. It's like, but grandma, I got a B plus on my science test, and she'd be like, "Oh, that's good for you. Your cousin solved world hunger," and I just can't compete with that. But it's not comparing in that way. It's all more pointing out, hey, the church in Macedonia is able to take part in this great joy of giving. And I want that for you as well. Paul is excited about this. Paul is all in on it. He's saying things like, in now, right now. There's no time like the present. Let's get after it. Let's jump into it. And then he also plays the family card. Brothers and sisters, we have the opportunity to help out our fellow believers, our family members, ones that also believe in the truth of the gospel. Paul is saying that this is a great joy. He's saying, you're already doing all these great things. He's not reading them out. He's saying, you're already doing all these great things. Know that we get to do this together as well. He's saying, giving is for you. Giving is for us. But sometimes when it comes to this act of giving, we kind of have these excuses lined up, ready to go. Some excuses we go to that are sort of tried and true when it comes to giving. And these excuses we fall back on to know that, uh, you know, giving maybe isn't really for me, or maybe I'm just going to let this slide. I'm doing other things, but, but giving might not just be for me. And when we look at what the church of Macedonia was going through, some of those excuses start to feel pretty hollow. The first one, one of our tried and true excuses is that we got too much going on right now. Hey, life's just real busy. Work is pretty crazy. Families, it's a busy time, sports season, you get it. I found myself uh, saying one of these excuses when it, when it came to, so I forgive us, anyway, and I, I found myself using the excuse, yeah, it's pretty busy. Hopefully things settle down when after the holidays. That's right. We use this one all the time. I just said it just the other day. I'm adopting this as well, but in verse 2, Paul points out this fact in the midst of a very severe trial. Church of Macedonia was going through something when Paul was writing this. So here they are, they have a perfect, they have an understandable excuse to sort of put a hold on the account, but they do not let the chaos that is happening around them keep them from the joy, from the gift of giving. It's difficult, as I mentioned. It's difficult. We can fall into this over and over again, but truly we are called to have this mindset. We are called to this truth, to put this first, to seek His kingdom. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. Excuse number two, it's a, a touchy, and it's excuse number two is that there's just too little money. 
And again, Paul goes right at it when he says their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. I like to think that the church in Macedonia, maybe they, they, they were going through persecution too, and they heard that their brothers and sisters were going through persecution in Jerusalem as well, and they knew that their lives were affected by the generosity of others. They knew the impact that it had on them, so they were filled with joy with the opportunity to give in the same way, to take part in that. Because they knew that math works a little bit differently when, when you are existing within the family of God. Because through their, their great poverty, still their generosity welled up. It, it was fulfilling because, you see, I don't believe that they saw money as their Lord. When money is our Lord, when money is our God, there is never enough. When Jesus is our Lord, there is always enough. And I think we can sometimes be faced with that, and it it's becomes pretty apparent when we're talking about this, is Jesus our Lord? And I don't bring it up together today to try to prove it to God. You know, wondering if saying, is Jesus my Lord? Don't try to prove it to God. He already knows. Don't try to prove it to me or prove it to other people because that doesn't matter. That truly doesn't matter. Prove it to yourself. If we're able to prove it to ourselves, then we can take a step back and watch our faith grow. Our third excuse goes along with the main lie that we're looking at, and it's that it could have too small of an impact, but we don't know the domino effect that our joyful giving might have. Just like that machine that we're talking about, we don't really know how one thing is going to affect the other and lead to a greater ultimate goal that might be beyond our wildest dreams because joyful, bold generosity is contagious. It makes an impact. It speaks to others. They catch that bug and they want to be a part of it too. Paul is boasting about the exuberance, the joy that the church in Macedonia was having and he wanted the Corinthians to experience the same thing. And the last excuse that we have, we kind of keep this one in our back pocket if the conversation about money starts to get a little bit too far and, and we have it and it's, it's sort of like, all right, here it is. It is too big of an ask. Okay, I can trust God with my heart, with my eternal soul. I can trust God with my time. I can use my vehicle. I can use the gas in that vehicle. I can open up my home. But when you talk about my wallet, it starts to hit a little bit too close to home. That's enough. Now, Paul, he's, he's not saying that what they are doing, he's already going through everything. He's saying they're doing all these great things, but it's not an or, it's an and. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, in the love they have kindled in you, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. Because Paul knows that giving is for them. He wants that for, he wants that for them as well. Because giving is for us. The truth is that giving will also make us different. The truth is my giving makes me different. And maybe we don't believe that. Maybe we have a hard time seeing how our giving could make us different. But then I was thinking about it. So if we see giving as, as from God, it's a behavior that we should pursue, that we should strive for, that we want to take part in, we can then think, like, are there any negative behaviors that affect who we are from the inside out? Like, I was thinking, have you ever tried to 
keep anything from somebody, like have a secret, something that you might be lying about. And this is mostly people do not raise a hand for this, for this thing here. But I was reminded of a time where if you're trying to, to keep something from somebody, it's all that you're focused on. Your whole life is trying to, to keep up this facade, this lie that you've built, and is just holding on to it very tightly. See, when I was in middle school, my brother and I, we, uh, we spent a weekend at my aunt and uncle's house to spend time with my cousin David, and David was the cool cousin. David had an Xbox and a driveway that you could play a half-court basketball game in. It was awesome. So... My, I'm in middle school, my brother's in high school, we drive over to my cousin's house and we park in the driveway and cousin Dave comes out and says, hey guys, why don't you move the car so we can get a game of basketball in before the sun goes down. We're like, Dave, you're cool and you're smart. Now, a quick thing to mention about the situation we were in. My brother was a very new driver at the time. And to drive around eastern Pennsylvania, he was given the family's 1999 Chevrolet Suburban Yacht Series. Like this thing was basically a tank on wheels or a boat that you could take on the roads. So this poor 17-year-old new driver has to navigate the streets of PA with this thing. But he's excited to play basketball, so he puts it in reverse, starts going out of the driveway. And what is often across the street from your driveway? your neighbor's mailbox. So he floors it and he hits the mailbox full speed and the thing flies through the air into the neighbor's yard and very quickly the, week, the afternoon is no longer about video games and basketball, it's about getting the mailbox upright before the neighbors and or my aunt and uncle come home. So my brother parks the boat. He and my cousin immediately start piling in rocks, getting the mailbox, trying to get it to stay up straight. I'm in middle school. I'm not helping at all. My cousin looks at me and says, go to the garage, get the wheelbarrow, go behind the house. There's a pile of dirt. Bring the pile of dirt to me. And I'm like, oh, I can do that. So I go and I do it. However, since I'm in middle school and not fully aware of my surroundings, I do not notice that the pile of dirt is infested with a colony of ants. So not only have we knocked over these people's mailbox, we've also put ants all over their nice flower bed. And so we're trying to get this thing standing up straight. We're trying to pick out the ants little by little. And finally, we kind of do it. It's like sort of like, eh, if you squint, it looks straight. And any ants left over could have been there naturally. Me and my cousin, we are willing to take this to our grave. We do not worry about this. We have a clear conscience. It is fine. My brother, however, is of a different uh, breed. So that night at dinner, he's just sitting there, and he knows that he's going to have to hold this all together. He tells my aunt and uncle what happened. And then they take him, and they go over to the neighbor's house, and they tell the neighbor what happened. My brother offers to pay for it. But it turns out that my uncle did the exact same thing two weeks before, so they're going to have to replace the mailbox anyway. But the thing is that my brother, my brother Levi, knew that lying about it would change him. It was for his benefit to tell the truth, to go over there and tell the truth. It was for my benefit to see my older brother own up to what he did, knowing that he, or not knowing, that he could have gotten away with it. So we know that this, this negative behavior can change us. Lying about this something, lying about it can, can change us from the inside out. So then we can believe as well that the pursuit of these disciplines 
this pursuit of what God is inviting us into can also change us from the inside out because God is in the business of transformation. As we are, are members of the family of God, he is working in our hearts day in and day out to change us, to grow us, transform us. My giving makes me different. We pick back up in verse 8 of chapter 8. Paul writes this, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. We talked about how generosity helps us to grow. It makes us different. But here we see that generosity also reveals our heart. Paul says a word you're not supposed to say in church, and that is to compare. Don't compare me with such another person. Don't judge me. How dare you? But I don't think Paul is comparing amounts here when it comes to giving. What he's comparing is the earnestness, the conviction by which they are giving. When it comes to our generosity, our conviction can be an indicator of the heart. For where your heart is, or rather where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Generosity is also a main character of Jesus. I think we can agree on that. With salvation on the table, salvation is available because of generosity. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. We see that generosity. We see how Jesus' generosity also enriched our lives. Yes, giving makes us different, but also through giving, through our generosity, the lives of others will be changed. You see, giving makes us different. We are different in a good way. Because the great thing about being different is that we can believe that different people make a difference. Different people make a difference. And I wonder if we can agree on that the world could use a little more different these days. I don't know if you're like me, that, that you have that friend or the family member at the Thanksgiving table that likes to take the conversation down a dark road very quickly talking about the woes and the concerns of the world. But it's true, we're going through a lot. There's pain, there's hurting, there's anguish, there's fear. We want these things to be different. We talk about these things that need to be different. But in order to bring about change, we need to think about things differently. We need to go about things differently. And the way to do that is to be different people ourselves. See, what's great is that different people do pretty crazy things. Different people pray to God saying, show me what to give and give me the courage to give it. Crazy people go into a grocery store with every intent to buy items of food that they do not plan on eating. But instead, they take it to a complete stranger's house and give it to that stranger just so that they can experience the love of God and show that that person has not been forgotten. Let's continue to be different. Let's continue to make a difference. To finish in 2 Corinthians, it says this in verse 10, And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it. 
according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Sometimes what's best for us isn't always our first choice. My first choice every time I walk into a grocery store uh, is to go immediately to the baked goods section, get a bag of the Hostess mini powdered donuts, and then walk right out the door. But my wife says that is not part of a healthy lifestyle, so I do not do it. When I was a kid, my first choice was to sleep in on a Saturday morning, but instead my dad would wake me and my brother up at four o'clock in the morning to go help my grandpa stack firewood in the dead of winter in Pennsylvania. And every time I tell that story, yes, the time gets earlier and earlier. <laughs> of when he would wake us up. But truly, it wasn't my first choice, but both instances are better for me, better for my health, better for my work ethic as well. We may not like what's best for us in the beginning, but it's for our good. It shapes us, it shapes us into being different. It's transforming us. You see, here Paul is laying out his judgment, a word again that we do not like to use. We often avoid it, but truly he's saying, this is for your benefit. This is for our benefit. He's giving them this charge to say, give boldly. And to go about giving boldly, you first need to make a plan. You need to make a plan to give. You, you don't often pay bills or pay anyone by accident. And normally when that happens, you're immediately on the phone with whatever person took money out of said account or whatever it might be saying, why did this happen? You make a plan. You don't only make the plan, but you follow it as well. You see, Paul says, last year you were the first not only to give, but also have the desire to do so. There's the plan. And then they executed it as well. They followed the plan. Be sure to make it and follow the plan. Finish the work. Don't just talk about it. Go ahead and do it. And what's amazing, and here's the gift, everything that we've been talking about in this sermon series, here's the gift that God has for us, is that we get to be a part of it. We get to see what God is doing, enjoying what he does. God uses our faithfulness to help change the lives of the people around us. See, just like that Rube Goldberg machine, you know, we get to see how things are building one after the other. But we don't always know right at the beginning what's going to lead. But we do know that God's going to take it and build it more and more and more until it's greater than we could ever imagine. And he's inviting us into that. That's what's so beautiful. When we talk about pray for one, connect to God, connect to people, connect to mission, this is the mission right here. God's mission to seek and save the lost. And he's inviting us to take part in that. And it's the most beautiful thing that we get to witness. God is saying, I want you to be different. I want you to be different and make a difference. And in that, we can have great joy. But we have to be willing to take that first step. We have to be willing to knock down that domino and see what God's going to do with the rest. I don't know if you've ever had a, a moment reading scripture where you paused and just said, wow, that's in there? <laughs> Which probably you don't want to hear from the, the guy up on stage right now, but I had that thought with this, with this final verse. What we're looking at, it was for, if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. God, show us what to give and give us the courage to give it. Let's be different and let's make a difference.
You know, we talk about Jesus' generosity. Every time we gather, we're able to partake in the act of communion to showcase that generosity, showcase the greatest generosity of all that we are able to be invited into the family of God because of that generosity. For on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, saying, This is my new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Would you all stand with me? Let's close in prayer again. Dear Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the great generosity of your Son. We are thankful, God, that that generosity enriched our lives in just great and just ways that we can never begin to fathom, that we cannot understand, but that we take joy in, that we are thankful for each day, day in and day out, Lord. Lord, we ask for the strength to be different. We ask for the strength to, to open up and to give because you are welcoming us into that. Lord, we are thankful for everything that you are offering for us. Lord, you are for us, not against us. Lord, we ask that as we leave this place, we look to make a difference. Not believe that we can't do it, but know through your strength, through your power, through your love, through your grace, all things are made possible. It is your name we pray. Amen. My friends, let's go. Let's be different. Let's make a difference.